welcome to the latest episode of the I Need to Effing Talk to You podcast. If you're a leader who's serious about building your leadership skills and transforming your organizational culture, then you're in the right place. I'm Ken Cameron. And I'm Russell Stratton. And in this episode, we need to effing talk to Dean Kendall. Dean provides truly comprehensive financial services, is an author of two books, and an eight times national number one BMX racing champion. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, so Dean and I met, or what must be like, sort of seven or eight years ago now, a networking event. We've kept in touch over the years and thought you would be an excellent guest for our listeners to hear about your take on a number of topics, but specifically around the financial um, services industry, which you have some very interesting views on, which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. Uh, But just to kick us off, um, really give you a chance to do that um, elevator pitch that often you get asked to do um, at networking events. And that is, you know, what do you do and why should anyone keep effing listening to you? So over to you, Dean. Sure. Yeah. Well, what I do, uh, Russell, is I... I help people who are struggling or dealing with some kind of a significant financial issue in their life. So it, it could be either an opportunity where the stakes are really high or some financial issue that keeps them up at night worrying. So people often walk into my office unsure of the next step. You know, yet they walk out about an hour later with this real breakthrough of clarity, you know, helping them better understand the big picture and the next steps are now very obvious. So you know, we help a lot of people, even if they already have advisors. Most of our clients do. But really, it's it's sort of like being a financial therapist. I mean, literally, I spend most of my days sitting down in my office helping people. And uh, a few examples of these significant financial issues that we come across on a regular basis is maybe somebody receiving an inheritance or wanting to reach financial independence. They come in and they say, do I have enough or what's my number? Uh, is work now optional for me, right? Uh, sometimes it's changing advisors, uh, maybe a divorce uh, or some kind of a tax-effective withdrawal strategy. I have all these assets and things all over the place, but how do I pull them out so that CRA, you know, isn't reaping all the benefits of, of me pulling things out uh, less effectively? So it, it's really um, even discovering excess fees that advisors are charging clients, either themselves or the investment fees. So um, it's really diverse. It's really fulfilling work. And um, it's just, again, anything that keeps them up at night worrying. Well, what the F made you decide that you wanted to become a financial therapist of all things? Well, you know, I, I really love helping people. And uh, I guess when I got out of university, uh, I had finished my BMX racing career and I, I really didn't want to be tied to a larger kind of bureaucratic type company, let's say. So I loved helping people and I wanted to control my destiny. And the way I help people is really, you know, is the pain around their money, right? So I eliminate all that pain and I help people know, you know, whether they're on track or off track actually to achieving all their goals. And we alert them as soon as they are off track. And then we help them get back on track as soon as possible. And that's, that's really fun work. So one of the things that, that interested me when we first met, Dean, is you were just about, I think, to uh, publish your first book, which was all around identifying hidden investment fees and this concept that people are paying too much um, or not knowing what they pay for their investments. So could you tell us a little bit more about uh, 
what you found out and perhaps perhaps like a crusade that you've been on over the last few years to uh, to pull back the curtain? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've been in business for over 25 years and to date, I've never met a single client who's come into my office, no matter how sophisticated that can tell me how much they're paying in fees. You know, most missed by thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars per year. It's very significant. And that's because most of the fees that they're paying are hidden from them. And sadly, you know, it's legal to do so in Canada. So most people get a annual fee and compensation report every December, and they believe that that's their total all-in fees that they're paying. But a lot of times, that's only a half or a fraction. That's actually the fee that goes to the advisor and the institution they represent. But there's still the cost of money management over and above. So a lot of people just have no clue as to what they're actually paying. And I think it's a real issue because once they know that they could save tens of thousands of dollars every year, at least they can make a more informed decision and achieve a lot of their goals much sooner. So knowing all of this, I became very inspired to write my book, you know, Stop Paying Hidden Investment Fees. Uh, It's how to get unbiased advice for the right fees so you can reach your financial goals uh, years earlier. But I was just tired of seeing consumers coming into my office being ripped off by all these big brand name financial institutions that everyone just kind of blindly trusts. So that was the motivation to pull back the curtains and allow people to make better decisions and achieve their goals much sooner. And so then when you work with those clients, like let's say they leave whoever their advisor is, they choose to come to you. How do you approach it differently? Or do you just continue to rip them off in the same way as everybody else does? No, that's that's a great question. What we do is we have a truth and fees transparency report. So we set them straight right from the get-go where we allow them to understand exactly what they're currently paying. And then we show them what the new options could be. And we show them that as a percentage and in a dollar amount so that it's crystal clear. And they already know what they're getting as far as a service. So now we have dollars. We have, you know, what you're actually paying. They know what they're getting. So we then show them what they could pay and also the additional service offerings that they would get. And then how do you hold yourself or how do the clients hold you accountable to that to make sure that they're getting that dollar amount? Do you give them a report that shows, in fact, what all the fees are in a way that other advisors don't? That's exactly what we do. That truth and fees transparency report is very detailed. So it breaks out what the advisor and the institution is getting. And then it also breaks out the cost of money management. So those two components together along with a lot of other hidden fees that can be in there. But those are the two main components that make up your total fees. So uh, we break that out and it's crystal clear to them. So now, again, they can make the right decision going forward. Right. So they may not be getting, they may not be paying um, less. I mean, maybe they are, but at least they know what they're paying. And that's the big difference. That's right. Full transparency. And, and that's just something that that lacks tremendously in this industry. And like I say, I, I you know, when I'm speaking with clients all the time, they come in and they're even uh, confident, you know, hey, hey, no, I got my annual fee and compensation report. I know exactly what I'm paying. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's a fraction of what you're paying. And then, you know, they start to wonder what the additional fees are, why they weren't disclosed. But um, they're not on that report, unfortunately. And, and that's the big issue. 
Okay, I'll be knocking on your door in about an hour after this podcast ends. But Russell, I can see you're chopping at the bit because I've gone off agenda here a little bit. I know you've got a question you want to be uh, asking, but I just really needed to know more about that for my own personal finances, really. No, then the, and it was it was a great um, a, the divergence down there, Ken, because I think it's something that a lot of people listening would would be concerned about. That do you ever really know what you're paying in terms of fees? And as I say, one of the things that I was particularly impressed about with Dean when we first met all those years ago was that sort of openness. No, I, you know, I'm, as you said before, I'm going to pull back the curtain. I'm going to be transparent about what this is costing, and then people can make a decision. I want to do option A, option B, option option C. So. You mentioned a lack of transparency as one challenge. What do you think perhaps the biggest unexpected challenge is coming up for your industry? Well, I guess how I see the financial services industry getting feedback from lots of people is that, you know, the industry really just looks at you as a portfolio or a number. You know, they look at you, how much do you have to invest? And when they talk about people behind the curtains, they say, you know, who's coming in today? You know, is he transferring an RSP or a non-registered account? You know, how much money do they have? Oh, you know, she has a small portfolio. So therefore, you know, I only have 15 minutes for that person. I mean, they just talk about people like they're numbers. You know, these are human beings. I mean, they have families, they have goals, they have values, they have things they're trying to achieve in life. They're trying to get from where they are now to where they want to be. And with the right advice, they could get there. But again, the industry just treats people like numbers. They do not treat them like humans. So when we work with these people, we, you know, the very first thing we do is we intimately understand their values, what's truly most important to them, you know, in their life. And then we start to talk to them about their goals. But we look at financial goals, but also non-financial goals. You know, and I can say confidently that I believe I'm the only guy I know who actually talks to people about their non-financial goals. And after we have all of this, then we roll up our sleeves and we figure out how to use all their resources so they can start living into their ideal life today, you know, not in some imaginary future. So I always tell people money's third. You know, we need to first understand your values, your goals, which is really the vision for your future. And then let's look at the resources and see how we can make that happen. Yeah, people approach money really differently from one another. I remember working with a uh, model about how people view money quite a few years ago, and it kind of broke down uh, your your individual relationship with money into eight different archetypes. And uh, this has really stuck with me because I discovered that I was uh, a victim around money meaning that money happened to me rather than me working with money. And over the course of working in this program, I transformed my archetype from being a, a, a victim and a martyr into being more of a magician and a warrior. And I kind of tried to skip over the worker bee function around, uh, archetype around that. And I found that so tremendously useful in my own approach to money. And then by extension, it, it was really around my approach to earning first. But then by extension, I've been able to slowly apply that to my view around saving and around investing. Can you? Uh, so I found that really useful. Do you have any kinds of mental models that you share with your clients that help them in a way that that helped me? Well, I, I think it's always back to um, 
focusing on on that vision, you know, the future. What are you really trying to achieve with your money and getting crystal clear on that? I just always believe that people that have fuzzy goals, it's very hard to, you know, achieve them. So it's it's getting crystal clear on really what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, you know, the timelines, getting really specific on all these things. And uh and then moving to the money, of course, but all that work has to be done up front. Um I really feel like it's almost like the industry, it's like prescription before diagnosis, right? You know, which is malpractice. I mean, they're always just pushing an investment before there's a real understanding of what makes a person tick and what the money's for and and so forth. That, I feel, is the, is the fatal error of the industry. So for you, it's about identifying the goal and the objective of the client and then tailoring the offering to them. That's correct. Yeah, the values is a big piece as well, you know. In that conversation, I mean, we get off of money in a hurry, but, um, you know, what's truly most important about money to someone, um, you know, generally it gets into other things like freedom and security and a whole bunch of other aspects. And when you get husband and wife, you know, thinking and talking about these things for the first time, it really, you know, um, takes the elephant out of the room sometimes and allows them to work much more effectively as a couple because it's not just all the technical aspects of money and money management. It's really the big picture of life. Oh, so this is the financial therapist part that you were talking about earlier. This is where you get the couple in. And how many divorces have you had in your office? <laughs> well, you know, I, I did have one. It's a very unique situation. I, I had a lady and um, now they are divorced. Um, you know, husband come in uh, from out of town and, and basically... Um, it was interesting in the sense that she wanted to almost verify, should I, should I get a divorce? And I said, geez, certainly that's not my role, but uh, I could, I could dissect your values and your goals and see if you're sort of on the same page. But it was quite interesting after that meeting, she actually did file a divorce and uncertainly I'm not here to, to trigger those events, but that was, um, yeah, that was the first time that ever happened in my career. I wonder, if, do you have the, do you also have like an opposite story where a couple came in kind of at loggerheads with each other and you, by talking with transparency around money and getting them talking transparently about money, were you able to mend fences in some way or build a bridge? Yeah, absolutely. I've had a, you know, some, a couple came in more recently and, and they came to me and they said, basically, Dean, what's my number? And the whole thing that they were trying to get at is could they stop working? And they had a whole bunch of rental properties and the husband was retired and he was managing all these rental properties himself and doing all the, you know, the physical work behind it. Uh, but they thought they had to keep these properties in order to supplement uh, his wife's pension. And his wife had a, a, you know, a real scare about five years ago with cancer and, and he kept working and so forth. But in the event that they could just stop working today, that was really what they wanted to do. You know, so we were able to crunch all the numbers and and actually get rid of some of those properties that neither of them really wanted. And, you know, they, they were able to stop working and actually start that next phase of their life that they were so excited about, but just couldn't get there because, you know, this other financial concern, um, you know, was just kind of overbearing and, and they didn't really have a way to, I guess, to figure it out. And and they were having tough conversations Um I should say, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think you've already answered the question. We can kind of end it right there. Yeah. I think that'll be pretty good. Yeah. That'll be right. 
Russell, Russell, um, do you, where's, where's your wife right now? I'm going to go downstairs and get my wife. We're going to bring her into this conversation. Russell, you go get yours. We'll do it right here as part of the podcast. Or maybe we'll just move on with the next question. Russell, you go ahead. It may, it may well be a little bit difficult to get to go and get her. I'd have to drive off and go and pick her up and then bring her back so that we could come in and, and have this conversation. And then we'd have a, a big sort of group therapy session. Uh, yeah, I'll bring, we, I'd have to bring my partner kicking and screaming into the conversation, <laughs> I'm sure. But we, we, we will manage it for the next. There'll be a second part two of this podcast. Part, part two. But what I was interested in, seriously, when we're looking at that is what, um, and we've spoken about this before, Dean, when we've met that what you're doing was a very much a sort of co- a coach approach, which Ken and I um, wrote about in our book, um, in, in part two of our book, and also something that we do in our work, which was helping people, you know, coaching an individual or a group, um, what their values were, what was important to them, and how to uh, move forward to a, a goal that they could buy into. And it seems that your approach was quite similar to this, even though you were maybe coming at it from a, a financial perspective. But again, the, the whole e- uh, ethos behind it was making sure that you understood what people's uh, values were and what uh, their goals were. So with that sort of coaching uh, thought in mind, do you have a particular uh, mentor or coach that you've worked with um, in your practice that's helped uh, impact the way that you work? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Rick Barrera. And, um, and I'll tell you why, because, you know, he really got me focused on my clients living into their ideal lives today. You know, not some imaginary future. And he really helped me develop all these systems and processes and tools to help my clients immediately, immediately start living into their ideal lives. And that is just transformational for my clients. So many times there's this thought that everything begins at 65 or 60 or at retirement. And, you know, that's that's really not a fruitful life. I mean, everyone should be living in their ideal life today and building off of that all the way through, not some magical date that's been defined. That seems so true, Dean. And I know, you know, Ken, you maybe come across this with people as well, that they are friends and family that will often talk about what they're going to do at a certain point in the future. You know, when I retire, I'm going to do this. You know, when the kids have left home, I'm going to do this. In five years' time, I'm going to do this. When I change my job. And, and it always seems to be something that, uh, and for a lot of those people, it never actually happens because it perhaps it's always something that's going to happen rather than something that is happening. And I wonder sometimes with people if it's used as a little bit of a um, an excuse for not doing it now because you can always say this is something that's going to happen in the future. Um, do you find that with, with, with your clients sometimes that some of those decisions people would be making about their lives and the financial aspect, they've sort of just put off making? Yeah, I, I find a lot of times people live into that, you know, we call it that, you know, the default life, right? I mean, you start off and you get a university degree and then you get a dog and then you have a kid and then you get a car and a house and, you know, it, it just tends to move along so mechanically. And I think, I think that's, it's unfortunate for a lot of people that, you know, there's so much more opportunity in life. And I think the more when they get clear on their goals and their vision and their values and all these, the things in the world is so much bigger, it's a lot more you know, exciting to start living into that than, you know, what, what someone else has kind of decided for you, right? 
It reminds me a lot of one of the songs I have on my playlist that I listen to when I go running by the Talking Heads from the 1980s. Uh, the as I think it's called As the Days Go By, but it's got that famous line, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful life. And how did I get here? Is uh, And it's so interesting that, that to me that like every time I listen to those that song, I always have to ask myself, is this the life I want to be living? And so I, I, I love that you, you're working with clients to be able to help them with that. But it's also a nice bridge into our quick fire questions because we're going to ask you some of your favorite songs, some of your favorite books, and some of some of these other things. So quick fire questions, and we really only do need just like a short one one word answer. What's your uh, what's your favorite movie? Uh, Matrix. Okay, great. Just came out with the with, with the, the the not the sequel, but the what would that be the quad pill? The yeah. uh, <laughs> to that one now. What's your uh, favorite TV show? Uh, the Office. Uh, American version or British version? American. <laughs> we, might to, we might have to terminate the conversation there. Then, <laughs> All right. Favorite favorite book that isn't the one you wrote? Okay, yeah. What Happy People Know by Dan Baker. Okay, excellent. Great. And uh, favorite hobby? Geez, you know, I probably have three. I, I really love downhill mountain biking, and I love heliboarding and surfing. Well, of course, you love biking with your career from as a as a champion BMX rider. Of course, absolutely. Although surfing's a new one, that's great that you moved from the mountains to the to the ocean. Lovely. Um, favorite sports team and or favorite sports figure? Uh, I would say Michael Jordan. Oh, all right, all right. Well, thanks for answering our quick fire questions. It's always a nice little intermission in the middle of our in the middle of our conversation to break things up. Russell, back to you. Get us let's get us back on track. Thank you. So. Um... I mean, just you're an entrepreneur, uh, Dean. You work with a variety of, of people um, in terms of your clients who often are, are leaders in their own businesses. So what I'd be interested in is what do you think the, the most important personality trait or strength someone would need to work effectively as a leader? Yeah, I would say uh, being truthful. You know, always telling people the unvarnished truth. And, uh, you know, sometimes my clients, as an example, just don't want to hear it, right? You know, they have serious financial issues and they don't want to hear it or deal with it. But I tell them the truth, you know. And the other thing I tell them uh, the truth about is, as we've talked about, is really the, the fees, right? You know, their investment fees. You know, what what are they? Huh? And they need to know what that is, right? Those uh, sometimes are tough conversations, but they need to happen. And like I've said before, these people are paying a lot. And that just, you know, the Truth and Fees Transparency Report was that tool, you know, to show them what they are paying and so forth. Do you ever get to that point where they, they're answering your questions, but you know that they're holding something back? Like they're just giving you the surface answer and you have to like probe deeper to really get at things? Yes, I do. I mean, an example of that is even, um, well, a very basic tool that isn't fun, but even just having a budget, like actually knowing how much money is going out the door. Like sometimes I talk to people and they say, you know, they want to retire, be financially independent. And then I ask them the question, well, how much, you know, do you want per month or per year to achieve that? And they're like, I don't know, you tell me. And, uh, you know, it's really their life. I would never tell them how much they need. It's it's situational. So I'll I'll dig in more and I'll try to understand you know, what their desires and aspirations are and where the money's going to go and what type of things they want to do. So, yeah, there's a lot of clarifying questions in there to really um, dig deeper and, and 
allow them to really own the numbers um, because then they have more power to actually achieve those things if it's their number and certainly not mine. Yeah, I like when you were talking there about about truth as being um, a personality trait because I think that that's something that a lot of us, particularly over the last couple of years, have been asking of of, of our you know p- p- political leaders and business leaders as to well, what's the truth, what's actually happening right around with, with with COVID, for example. You know, yeah. what what's the truth behind this? Um, as against what's the you know the political spin or whatever that's being given to to the topic, what do the numbers actually mean? So I think that's an important thing that we could all um, look for uh, with our with our leaders. Truth, but if we were then flipping that, is there a a virtue that you think is overrated in business? Something that people talk about but really think is not as important, perhaps as as truth. If so, what would it be? Yeah, I think it's the drive to win. You know, in my experiences, businesses are just so busy, you know, trying to win or winning. that They're really screwing their customers. You know, they're really riding roughshod over their customers. And that's an interesting thing because I've heard people say that before, that sometimes um, the focus on like success at all costs and, and making sure that we are we're we're making as much money as possible, and we've seen some um, examples now. I know that Ken and I have talked about this on the, some of our workshops with people um, focusing around on, on you know the banking crisis from some years ago. Partially was caused about certain banks just going as long as we can make as much money as possible. Whether what we're doing makes sound financial business or ethical sense doesn't really matter as long as we're making money. And what they had forgotten about was the customer, the person at the end of the day, who whether it was a, a, a billionaire investor or it was somebody who was investing you know, $5 each week from their paycheck, that was the person that they were there to serve rather than just about being you know, a winner or cost. So it's interesting that you, you bring that out. There's another more recent example from Wells Fargo that I write about in my upcoming book, where Wells Fargo, um, they were encouraging their salespeople to meet their quota. And that became kind of their overarching value. Just as you've said, Dean, it was about making sales, not about serving the customer. And what that did, unfortunately, was encouraged the sales individuals to nefariously open accounts for customers without even telling the customers, without getting permission from the customers, and in some cases, even moving money between accounts so that it looked like they were gaining new clients, gaining new customers, creating new business for the company so that they could meet their individual targets. What's even worse is that when all of this was uncovered, Wells Fargo ended up blaming it on a few individuals, the the so-called bad apples, when in fact, really, it was the culture that they created and the reward structure they put in place to reward and encourage those employees to do that. So it really was more of a case of a tainted barrel than it was of a single or multiple bad apples. And we we can see that in the, the big banks, but you've really pointed out to us, Dean, that it's kind of become normalized across the industry in some ways very much so yeah it's um i think it's all just about making money and you know uh, making sure shareholders are happy and and just looking the other way in a lot of examples um and situations and you know a lot of my clients will say you know even when they go to some of these banks they have a bunch of money that's sitting in their cash account for like one day 
you know, this buzzer goes off on the system and, and there's this call to them saying, hey, you have X amount of money in your, your cash account. Why don't you uh, want to speak to one of our, um, you know, so-called financial advisors who can help, you know, make more money uh, for you or make that money go further. And it, uh, you know, a lot of them just get irritated by it, right? I mean, uh, but that's the reality. I would get irritated by that for sure. You talked about what are some important qualities in a leader. What do you think is the most overrated virtue in business? So I think we just covered that question. Did we do that one? Yes. Oh, sorry. I was busy. I was busy thinking ahead. Uh, Russell, take it away. Give us to the next one. Um, so you, so you, you mentioned, obviously, hidden fees is a big bugbear for you, something that uh, that pisses you off when you, you hear about it. But are there other words or phrases that you find are, are overused in your industry? Uh, Ken and I did a blog on bullshit bingo not so long ago with those sort of management phrases that we use. Is there something from a financial services perspective, a couple of words or phrases that sort of really jar when you hear people saying them? Yeah, I mean, people always talk about service, right? Um, you know, how they'll service you better. It, you know, as you know, it's just a buzzword, right? It, it doesn't mean anything. You know, I believe the real question is, is like, what are you going to do differently that is going to have a huge meaning in my life? I mean, that's the question, but that's far too much for, you know, most uh, institutions to uh, digest. So they pick these little buzzwords that, really don't have much meaning or punch and everyone uses them. So they're so, um, yeah. <laughs> <get ends> there. <laughs> here's a, here's another question for you. It's time for us to call bullshit on our guests as we reach the end of our, of our podcast interview. So I want to ask you, um, we often learn from our failures and we, in these podcasts, we often just kind of talk about how great we are, what our successes are, how much better we are than the, than the industry out there. But we, we only get to these places by failing and then from learning from our failures. So you got to tell us, um, as we cut through the, as we cut through the bullshit, as we talk about transparency, what have you learned from your own mistakes? What's your greatest failure that you've learned? And then most importantly, what have you learned from it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, I, I tried to do it all myself, right? I was a, a one man band and I, I thought I could learn everything. And, um, you know, I've learned that it's really a team approach, right? And just let me be clear, but what I mean by a team approach, it's not a team that is just giving advice with the goal of selling products and making commissions, which is essentially the wealth management industry. Uh, this is about a team that's providing client-centered advice, period, and they're paying a fee for that. So, you know, now I have a really great team. You know, they're really wickedly smart. And um, the part that's great is when they all get together and they really wrap themselves around a client in the situation, you know, the results are just extraordinary. And my mistake is, you know, I should have done that 20 years ago instead of thinking, I could do it all myself. And that's the conversation I've had with a number of people moving into a managerial role, not necessarily entrepreneurial like yourself, but having a um, within an institution perhaps when they're moving up the management ranks, that they get this idea about manager as hero. You know, I have to be here to be able to solve problems for people um, and I need to be able to make a difference. And if I can do, have an impact and if I can do that, I feel good about myself and I'll probably get another promotion. Um, 
And sometimes what you know, Ken and I have spoken to people about this with our workshops and our, our coaching work is that is about perhaps identifying what the skills and qualities are that you need and building a great team around you because it's the team that are going to get you there. It's not necessarily all about you. And once you realize it's not all about you, it's about the team that you've got and what are you doing, what value are you adding for your clients or customers. That's when it all starts to come together. And I think you've demonstrated that with your work, less about how do we win and how do I make sure it's me that looks good. Yes, absolutely. So if we do talk to, again, you know, um, uh, fees and transparency and truth, is there a motto that you have that you live by in the work you do? I would say, you know, true freedom and happiness is being able to do uh, what you want, when you want, uh, with the people you want. And that's really what I do for my clients, all right? I try to make sure that is the way they're living their lives because that truly brings you the most happiness. If you could be remembered, Dean, for one effing thing in your life after you've retired or, God forbid, after you've gone, what would that one effing thing be that you want to be remembered for? Yeah, for me personally, it's uh, setting goals that make you uncomfortable because it really forces you to grow. And I've been doing that, you know, since my BMX racing career. Um, it was always about continuously putting myself in an uncomfortable position so I could grow. And that's what he, really what I try to do every day. Excellent. And yet, with your clients, you're trying to put them into a more comfortable position so that they're, they, they can grow with less effort, I guess. That's right. I mean, we would understand, you know, what makes them uncomfortable, and, and then at least we can develop some kind of a strategy or a plan to get them into the comfort zone, right? Get them sleeping like a stone. Yeah, right. Right. Makes sense. Well, that's great. Um, as we come to the end of our uh, uh, conversation this afternoon, Dean, is there something that you're currently working on that you like our listeners to know about because you think that they should be effing caring about what you're doing? What are you up to? Well, uh, I just literally finished uh, my second book not too long ago, and I'm trying to uh, get that out to the marketplace. So really, it's, uh, it's a book about you know, goal setting, and it's based on my BMX career, and it's about setting you know, and achieving goals and really stretching yourself. And the application of that is really in any aspect of life. So I think that's a, a great start to help people you know, make 2022 uh, their best year ever. Well, that's great, Dean. And we'll put a link into our show notes for both your, your books. Is the second book actually been published? Uh, yes, it has. Yeah, very recently uh, on Amazon. Oh, great. So we'll put a link into both of those um, as well as into your website so people can find out a little bit more about it. And then um, perhaps now once that, that new book's been, been out there, we'll have to get you back and you can tell us a bit more about goal setting and specifically your BMX career, which we have glossed over as we were focusing on your uh, uh, your business on the financial side. Um, but perhaps we'll have you, have you back in the future to talk about your BMX career as well. And um, um, perhaps we'll even have video for that. You can put your BMX outfit on and ride your bike around and, 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 and show off. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, that would be great. Thank you. 
Well, and uh, with that teaser that is worthy of a uh, the end credits of a Marvel movie, we're going to wrap up this episode. And we hope you enjoyed it, dear listeners. Remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But most importantly, remember to share the link with your friends and colleagues and know that you can always reach out to us at the address that are in the show notes. Goodbye for now, and we'll effing talk to you soon. Okay, thanks very much, everyone. Awesome, thank you. Thank you.